Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome in to Unanchored Boston. And as always, our show is brought to you by Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping and where? We're in New Hampshire, of course. And the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. George Gray is the big wheel. He's at 409 Lexington, Mass Ave in Lexington. Speaking of big wheels, we got one today, and he is going to deliver for us. We can You can feel it. And Lobel's always in charge of the intros. So, Matthew, I'm going to step aside and let him do all the, the glorious intros that, that he has worked up for you. Well, despite being a great athlete as a variant and in Boston College and then in the National Football League, considering all the injuries you've had, we just talked about this, Matt. Uh, I was going to ask you, and I will later on, which is the best, who is the best athlete in your family? But I'll get back to that in just a minute. Probably going to say your mom. But I would simply say, how is it possible you've only had one surgery in your life, com considering all the time you spent under center and all the things that you went through as a, in the NFL? How is that? I mean, I don't think people realize all the injuries you had at the end of, toward the end of your career. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the grace of God. But I will say this. I've been told to have surgery many times. I've had many doctors tell me to have surgery. I just always, you know, I think. My career in the NFL, I started as a backup. You know, my first three years, I was backing up Brett Favre in Green Bay. And I would see all these guys have surgery. And then I'd watch them the next year. And they'd usually have surgery on the same thing the next year. Or they wouldn't be all the way back. And I would see how hard they would rehab from the surgery. And a lot of times I would sit there and I would say, man, if I just did that rehab like you're doing, I would never get hurt again with that injury again. So I don't know. The one surgery that I did have, I'll tell you this, though. I didn't even plan to have it. I flew to Alabama. Dr. James Andrews was down there and I just went down for a second opinion. It was just like, I was just going to check it off. Like, yeah, I got a second opinion. And some way, somehow Drew Brees had talked me into getting the surgery. He had just had the same surgery, even worse on his throwing arm, throwing shoulder. And I was just doing it on my, on my left shoulder. And uh, I don't know, he, he like talked me into it. So even the one surgery that I had, uh, I, I would kind of tell you, like, I'm not even sure I needed to have that surgery. I'm glad I had it, but I'm not sure I needed it. Yeah, you just you just want to get wheeled down the with the bright lights going on, a nice stainless steel table, and see everybody, and just see what the, everyone else is doing. I must have given it a shot, right? You know what? You know, I, I, there's so much that goes into NFL player uh, injuries and surgeries and timing up a surgery. Uh, for me, I was going to be a free agent the next year. And it was like, I could get the surgery that season. I think we were out of the playoffs. And the next year I was sort of like, hey, I plan to be in the playoffs. I plan to have a late run. Uh, I plan to be a free agent. And so do I want to be doing my rehab on a short off season with uh, sort of a pending free agency, like leverage type thing? Or do I just want to go ahead and do it now? And, and really that's what Drew Brees brought up to me. And uh, it was something like wasn't even anywhere in my brain at the time. And he brought it up and I was like, you know, he actually brought it up over like a, I was having, I had a, I probably had a half a bottle of wine in me at that point. And I was like, wow, these are great points. These are great points. Let's do surgery. So uh, live and learn. You know, who would have thought, I mean, you, 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 you play in high school at Severian, have a great career there for a great program. Um, you're hoping to get drafted. You, uh, pretty much like Tom Brady, you were number 187, he was 199, sixth round. And you're hoping to hang on each, you know, I'm sure your first couple of years that backing up in Green Bay, you were just holding your breath to hang on. When it's all said and done, 18 years. I, not, I don't know how many players can can, 
can, can hang their head on that. 18 years. Can you believe it? Uh, no, I can't believe it. And, and I actually, I think I retired like the day after Charles Woodson and Peyton Manning retired in my draft class. Um, <laughs> but I remember like, you know, Peyton was pick one. Uh, Charles Woodson went Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, I think third or fourth was Charles Woodson. And then I'm down there at 187. But like, I think much like Brady, like, you know, he still remembers that he was pick 199, has pride in it, but also has like a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about it. I think I would say the same thing about myself. And I don't know so much that it was like a chip on my shoulder as much as it was like, I remember where I came from. My first year in the NFL, pretty much the whole season, Andy Reid was the quarterback's coach for the Green Bay Packers. Pretty much the whole season, I played scout team tight end at practice. Going up, I'd have like Reggie White in a, like a nine technique or a seven technique. And Andy, you know, Andy Reid was like, listen, you can come to quarterback meetings, but uh, you got to make yourself useful at practice. Can you play tight end? And I was like super skinny, not super athletic. And uh, I was like, yeah, my dad was a tight end. I can play tight end. Like I can get into a good three-point stance. Like I played tight end in Pop Warner for the Norfolk Medfield Millis Vikings. Like I can do this. And really that's what it was. It was just like sort of surviving, sticking around for the opportunity for that. Hopefully an opportunity would come and the next year it did come and, and uh, you know, the rest is history, but I don't think I ever really forgot that. I don't think I ever really forgot like how it began for me. Well, were you frozen? He might be frozen. Um, so let me ask you this. this, this all kinds of noise. Now you're coaching. Now you're coaching your son, Henry down at the, at Severian. We got, um, there's a quarterback situation going on here in New England. You know, I, my mother, she's still, she's still like a mom. She goes, I feel so bad for that Mac. You know, I, I said a rosary for him today. You know, I hope he's going to be better next week. And I felt like telling mom it ain't happening, but uh, I didn't have the heart to tell her, but it's, it, I see things week to week, Matthew, that I just can't believe throwing across your body, th- mm. trying to throw across the field. Uh, he's lucky he didn't get picked up twice in Dallas. Uh, that game. And then uh, they did the same thing uh, the other night. And when they had, they had to pull them out of the game. Yeah. Well, fixable mistakes, I would say, you know, I, I think what I see out of Mac is a frustrated quarterback who tries to make plays off schedule. And, you know, I think there's a fine line for a young quarterback, really any quarterback, but especially a young quarterback, keeping your confidence when things are like kind of raining down on you, where you feel like no one's really believing in you anymore keeping your confidence high and understanding who you are. Like you you don't, you're not just terrible all of a sudden. Um, But also I think for him specifically understanding who you're not, like if you go and watch all of his interceptions or if you go watch his, you know, scoop and score fumbles in the pocket, like know when to say when, like you're not Lamar Jackson. You're, you're, You're not even, I mean, you're like in some ways less athletic than Tom Brady. Uh, I would say, but like, that doesn't mean you can't be really successful. I still believe in Mac Jones. I think he can be a successful quarterback, but he's just got to clean up like the, the off schedule interceptions where he's trying to make something happen. I don't think that's his game. In fact, I know it's not his game, but, uh, but I do believe that he could be a really good quarterback. I think he'd be the starting quarterback for this team. He just has to, uh, I think just eliminate those big mistakes. Yeah. He, he holds on to the ball far too long. That, that's obviously, I think, one one big problem for him. Um, what does he have to learn to, to not be take so many sacks? Apparently, I mean, here we are. It's easy for me to say sitting on my, my couch, but it seems like he really goes down so early and so easily. Yeah, you know, 
I mean, for me, what I what I would want if I was him as a quarterback, I see him doing so much pre-snap before the ball's even snapped. I see him directing, sending a guy in motion. That's the mic. Oh, you got the strong safety. Now I'm going to re-mic. Now it's here. He does so much pre-snap. That's kind of exhausting. Like even the great quarterbacks that I played with, um, Brett Favre, Andrew Luck, like all the different guys, and like me included, like this, I, I firmly believe this. It's just nice to just go out and play. We're going to call play in the huddle. We don't give a rip what the defense is doing. I don't care. Line up over there. Line up over there. Play man, play zone. I don't care. We're running our stuff, kind of like a John Wooden mentality. I don't care about you. We care about us. And and then there's like the other thing that some offensive uh, offenses have, kind of like the Tom Landry thing. Like, okay, we're going to wait and see how you line up defensively. Then if you do this, we'll do that. If you do that, we'll do this. And like, I don't know, sometimes you don't, you feel like you're on defense as an offense. I always loved when we were on offense feeling like we're on offense. Like we decide what we're going to do. Not you. I don't care what you do. And uh, especially when you're playing with people who disguise or who know your style. um, I just always felt like that was like the most freeing feeling as a quarterback where you can just cut it loose play aggressive, play with tempo, play clocks, not at like two every time, you know, we dictate it. And so I, I don't know that that's what I would want if I was him to get out of the funk, but um, you know, I, I'm not sure they're going to change. Um, is he playing the same uh, offense that he played at Alabama? Is it close to it? Well, the ta- I don't know that the talent level out on the outside is the same. Like I, I called the Michigan Alabama bowl game, his, uh, his junior year. And I mean, every wide receiver, like the top four wide receivers, I think were first round picks. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's, it's a little bit rare. I mean, not to knock any of my Boston college teammates, but like when I got to the Packers in my first mini camp, I remember my first rep, we called this play two JDX dagger. Why shall across fake 40? I drop back seven step drop. I throw the dagger. It's like an 18 yard in route. I throw it like way over the guy's head. I'm like, oh gosh, I threw it over his head. Receiver's running, hits him like kind of looks like it hits him in stride, catches it, goes for like another five yards. It's like a 20 something yard gain. Everyone's like, oh, great job. I was like, I just thought I overthrew him. I'm like playing with like amazing, amazing players right now. I think Mag did sort of the opposite. He he was playing with the best of the best at the wide receiver group. And now he's playing with guys that are good. It's like not that they're not good. They're they're good, but they're they're not at the level of guys that he was playing with at, at Alabama. I don't think. I, I I mean, that's just sort of a guess. That's kind of how I feel based on my experience doing it sort of the opposite way. Um I, I ask every uh quarterback, but other people too, when they come from college, their rookie season, I say, what's the biggest difference between college ball and pro ball? And I think the unanimous answer is speed. That that is the number one number one thing that catches them catches their attention immediately. Is that still true? Uh, I think the speed helped me because I played a little too fast. So that when I was playing with other people who were really fast, I think it it just sort of clicked for me. Um, that wouldn't be my answer. My, my answer would be the hardest thing for especially for a young quarterback is understanding blitz uh, protection and then seeing it in real time and in like. Really, that's what Mac Jones was so amazing at his rookie year. His rookie year, he was the best rookie quarterback in all of football, all his entire class. He was the best guy. He was seeing it. He was directing traffic. He was knowing where he was hot. He was changing the mic. He was doing all the things that 
honestly, is hard for veteran quarterbacks. He made it look easy. And so I think that's why everyone was so surprised when he took a step back in year two and now in year three. But sometimes that can be like, like, I think as a coaching staff, you can understand like, oh, this guy's smart. He can handle it. Yeah, he can handle it. But is he going out and cutting it loose and playing free? Um, you know, that's the fine line. And, and like I said, I even saw that with great quarterbacks. Like, I, I think Brett Favre was at his best when he didn't really know what nickel meant, <laughs> you know, nickel <laughs> defense. Yeah. It was just like, he was just a kid out there doing like he'd done his whole life, just cutting it loose. Like, Oh, you're over there. I'm a, you know, whatever. And uh, once he started learning so much about X's and O's, it was like, he was aware, he was thinking about it, like a little bit of paralysis by analysis. And um, you know, if it's true for Brad, it's true for everybody probably. And, 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 and maybe Mac as well. Uh, could you tell Andy Reid was going places when you had him in Green Bay? Yeah. Yeah. He was incredible. Um, we sort of made a joke like Brett. I didn't make a joke. I didn't talk. I was a rookie, but like <laughs> Brett Favre would make a joke and Doug Peterson was the backup. They, cause Andy Reed had been the tight ends coach for just a couple of years. And then he was the quarterbacks coach. And before he was the tight ends coach, I think he was like the O-line coach in Missouri. And so he would have a coaching point and his coaching points were all like super simple, like easy to understand, but like very simple. And it worked for me. And I think it worked for Brett. It's kind of like taking a golf lesson. You get like this golf instructor that tells you like a gazillion things to think about. You're like, you're actually making me feel like I'm worse. You know, some quarterback coaches do that. Um, but Andy would say like simple things. He'd be like, hey, I know TV commentators will say stand tall in the pocket. That's a lie. Stay low. Stay low. He just always said stay low. And that'll fix a lot of things. Stay low. And like, I would be like, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to write that down. And Brett would be like, Andy, you're the best tight ends coach I've ever had. Kind of like that wasn't like a profound statement. So it was like they were always kind of bust his chops. But no, he was he was special. He was never the coordinator. He was just the quarterback's coach. And for a guy that had never called plays, never been the coordinator, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, Jeffrey Lurie hired him to be their head coach. And literally no one from the staff in Green Bay even went with him. Mike Holmgren left that year to go to Seattle. Pretty much everyone went with Mike. Some people stayed in Green Bay. Andy offered everyone to go with him in Philly. And, you know, people were like, Andy, we believe in you, but might just stay here in Green Bay or or might just go with Mike Holmgren. But uh, Andy went and I think Doug Peterson was the only person that went with him. And he went as a player to kind of, you know, warm the seat for Donovan McNabb. But the, I think everyone in the in the building had a lot of respect for Andy and just thought, um, I don't know. That's a big mountain to climb, but you know, good luck to you. Hope hope you do well. And he's uh, obviously hit it out of the park. When he got traded to uh, Seattle, was Holmgren already there? Yeah, Mike Holmgren was there, but uh, you know, we didn't have this like amazing relationship. Like we really, really knew each other. Like I was a rookie on the practice squad my rookie year when he was the head coach coaching Brett Favre. Like I was sort of I, I joke, but I'm serious. I was allowed to be in the room while he was coaching Brett. Um, and so like, you know, a couple of years later, he trades for me and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm his starting quarterback. Like, I felt like I knew him, but I'm not sure if he knew me. And then it took a little bit for us to kind of, um, I don't know, understand each other and for me to play, you know, good enough to the standard that he wanted. But I was, you know, he's an amazing coach and I was really lucky to have him as my coach. I'm going to go back to Green Bay. Uh, what, what month was it when you said, oh my God, winter's here. We're good. It's not going away. I was, you know what? All the, all those guys, that entire Green Bay coaching staff, they were all from California. 
So like there was the, and Brett Favre's from Mississippi. So like there was this image that we were like good at the cold weather. We love the cold weather. Never. Like we would practice in the, they had this beautiful indoor, the Don Hudson center, this beautiful indoor facility. Literally, if it was below 55 degrees, we would be practicing inside. Like it was just the other teams that would come into Lambeau, they would just get psyched out. They'd be like, oh, these these Packer fans, you know, these Packer players, we were freezing. Like at halftime, we were huddled up in the sauna, like shivering, going over like a, a, a call sheet. We'd be like, all right, what, what do you want to run in the second half? Like, oh, I can't even feel my fingers. I can't feel my face. And like, then we would run out in the third quarter, be like, yeah, no sleeves. Like, yeah, we're good. We're good. We're not cold. But we were freezing, honestly. I didn't go to Seattle where you got to deal with the rain all the time, right? Yeah. You know, though, like I remember my senior year at Zavarian and uh, I feel like it was raining or snowing or sleeting or muddy every game I played in. And then I go to um, uh, BC and literally I felt like it was windy or cold or rainy or like just terrible weather monsoon, like my whole time at BC. And I, I can literally remember like praying to God being like, why is it always bad weather for me? Like why? And then I, you know, three years in green Bay, like tough conditions, Seattle, like, like you said, tough conditions. And like, I mean, honestly, it didn't even like phase me. Never even really thought about it. So uh, I'm sort of of thankful for the bad weather that I had uh, growing up. Oh, look who's back. He uh, took a little break and now Boba, you can have all the questions for the next 10 minutes. How's that, all right? Yeah, well, what I was able to hear sounded like a great show, but I'm sorry I missed it. And uh, I may ask the same questions you asked when I was taking a nap. (laughs) I'll give a different answer. All right, that's good, man. I like that. So who was the smartest athlete in your family and who was the best athlete in your family? Did you ask that one, Richie? No, no. Yeah, that's that's one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so, – got an athletic family no no yes, no, I know. Doubt, no doubt about that uh dream come true i've got three kids i'll focus on my kids i've got three kids my two girls play lacrosse at boston college boston college has a great lacrosse program my son henry uh was committed to play lacrosse in college uh he was going to go to maryland and then you know had a good year in football at zavarian and got recruited for football recently committed to michigan state we'll see how that goes they just fired their head coach so um, a little bit in the air, up in the air right then, uh, right now. But uh, my the story that I sort of love to tell is like we were all driving uh, somewhere in the car, and I get this call from the athletic director at Boston College to let me know uh, on Bluetooth, hey, congratulations, we're inducting you into the Boston College Hall of Fame. And, you know, like, wow, it's this great moment. My wife's crying, happy for me. I'm like, oh, wow, that's special. And uh, we hang up the phone and my oldest daughter's like, congratulations, dad. My son's like, congratulations, dad. And my middle daughter, she goes, you got in 16 years after mom did. You know, so, <laughs> so, so my wife was a field hockey player at BC, and a really good player. I was not a really, I didn't have this amazing college career. She did. But, uh, you know, she deserves a lot of credit for our kids. That's my fire alarm going off here. Uh, nice. You know, it's been going off all morning. This was a doomed morning for me. <laughs> Elon, can you just shut down my audio after I ask these? <laughs> I, can, I have to wait till they shut it off. So, my life, I'm leading right now. This this is like playing tough in the pocket. You got the blitz coming. No, you got I got, a, you know, I got you know. a rush coming on here. Now I got to duck out of the way and I got to hold on with the ball. And 
Hey, okay. Bob, there's a, there's a saying, there's a saying like we, we like to say in quarterback rooms, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Right. Well, this right. is you. You got tough Wi-Fi. You got fire alarms. Let's see what kind of <laughs> questions you can come with. Right. Know what you don't know, actually. There's a lot of so lots of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. You were talking about your coach, Andy Reid, and, and I don't know if you brought up Pete Carroll as we were talking here. And um, uh, well, go ahead. Now that you're shaking your head, you must have had a great deal of respect for Pete. Well, we didn't. We didn't talk about Pete, but okay. it's, so, it's kind of funny because like when Pete got to Seattle, the first thing that he did is he came in. He said, hey, I was a terrible football coach. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea who I was. I just was out there kind of coaching. And he talked about his, you know, when he was in the NFL, he was with the Jets, the Patriots, and he got fired, I think, from the Patriots. And he was out of football for a year. And he had to figure out who he was as a coach, what he's, what his identity was going to be, what the culture of his team was going to be, how they were going to talk, what the DNA of the program was going to be, what his formula for winning was really going to be. And uh, he was like, he read this book by John Wooden. A lot of coaches get inspiration from John Wooden. And um, he decided that he, he came up with a formula in his head about what his team was going to be all about. And then he gets the job at USC and they weren't a great program, but he turned them into an amazing program. And then with this new formula, this new identity of who he was going to be as a coach and what they were going to be about, he was like, we went 53-0. and 53-0 and when we do basically what I'm saying, I now know, I now believe in who I now am. And uh, it was great. Like that, my last year in Seattle was his first year in Seattle, and he came in, and we had had a lot of success there. Like we, you know, we had won I think five in a row division championships or something like that. And he comes in, he's like, "Forget it. The new formula is this." And uh, you know, as a college coach coming here, yeah, so it was you know, some guys trusted him, some guys didn't. Um, but he was great. He was great. And I think the second version of Pete Carroll as a head coach was really, really special, um, really special. So I, I take it that he had to find some humility before he was able to find himself. And, and like I said, like the first thing he did is say, hey, I was a terrible coach. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Do you think so, Belichick could ever do that? I think he already did in a way, right? Like, I mean, he, he failed in uh, Cleveland. And I'm sure he, you know, like all people, you sort of look in and say, okay, here's what I'm never going to do again. And then uh, to me, he's the most successful coach, you know, in, in NFL history. So like I, whatever, I mean, maybe he doesn't share his feelings or thoughts about it, but no, he's, I think he's done the exact same thing in a, in a way. Um, and and he, it's not like he was that unsuccessful in Cleveland. I think Cleveland just sort of made a mistake, but I'm sure he would tell you that that made him a better coach. Well, he got involved in the quarterback controversy with Testaverde and Kosar. Yeah, but but then think about it. He had to, he was the guy making the decision. Are you going to sit Drew Bledsoe, the number one pick, the first pick overall for pick 199? It takes courage to do that. You see a lot of these head coaches, like when they're making a decision, it almost feels like they're hopping on Twitter and seeing like, oh, what's everyone saying? Well, maybe I'll do this or maybe I'll do that. Or they're bad at the podium. I think Bill Belichick, I mean, you know, he gets a lot of heat for it. I think he's amazing at the podium. His team doesn't have the drama that other teams have. But going back, I think that's one of the most courageous and, like, literally one of the best decisions. No knock on Drew Bledsoe. I love Drew. But, like, that was one of the most successful decisions at the quarterback position that's been made. And uh, I remember it was 0-1. It was like 
He's like, wait, what? Really? Like, I'm playing out in Seattle. We had a lot of Washington State Cougars on our team or just in our building. And like to them, it was like, what? You're sitting Drew Bledsoe? This is Drew Bledsoe. So I think it was a courageous uh, decision. And, and again, like I think you learn more from your failures than your successes sometimes. I'm I'm sure. Well, there's no doubt about that. You do, and you do remember your failures much yeah. longer than you remember your no successes. Why is that? I don't know. It's so interesting. Neely said the same thing. It, you always, re, you know, you remember the things that you failed at much more often than you do with the things that you were successful at. Well, especially if you're, if you're like sort of like maniacally obsessed with being great, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, you guys mentioned I'm coaching at Zavarian um, and you know, we had a good game. We had a good game this last game. You know, we won by 11. We should have won by 35, like, like literally. And, and I just wrote this up on the board to these guys and a coach of mine used to say it all the time. It's like, Hey, we were good. Okay. We were good. Friday. We were good, but good is the enemy of great. Like if you want to be great, like you can't be satisfied being good. And so, like, you know, we had a true freshman quarterback start. He had three touchdowns. He played awesome. I'm, like, so happy for him. He's going to have a great high school career. But literally, as my job as his quarterback coach, you'd be like, you could have had five. You could have five. Now, the truth is, I'll tell you guys, like, we would have had five if the guys around him did better. But either way, like, the standard that you're shooting for is to be great. So I, that's probably why I think sometimes people focus on the tough, you know, the mistakes or the missed opportunities. Well, it seems to be human nature. I, I don't know if you – look, I just want to go back to this Belichick thing. And you know the argument, uh, and I'm not going to draw you in between a Brady-Belichick you know, comparison because you know that argument. You know what's being argued on either side of the ball on that one. And, uh, but you also know that Bill's record without Tom is, mm-hmm. is under 500. I mean, yeah. we know, we know – so – Let's talk about that. Okay. I, I feel strongly about this. I know um, you do. And that's why I'm asking you. So a, cu- a couple things. The, 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 my first statement about these two guys, if these two guys had never paired up, there's no guarantee that either one of them's even a hall of famer, but paired up. This is the best duo. I think in all of sports, any sport, any time, uh, Coach quarterback, like th- these two guys together accomplish things that are absolutely mind-blowing in football. So to me, those two together, the greatest of all time, that is I, I firmly believe that. Without each other, you know, who knows? But but they didn't, they weren't without each other, they were together. I hear people say this when Tom Brady went and won the Super Bowl uh with Tampa, they're like, oh, he did it without Belichick. Bull crap. He did not do it without Bull- Belichick. Okay. When I left Seattle, I was there 10 years with Mike Holmgren and a year when I get to watch him coach Brett Favre. I went to Tennessee my very next year, had the best year of my career statistically. Uh, At the end of my career, I was 40 years old, starting for the Indianapolis Colts. I promise you when I was in Tennessee and when I was in Indy, I was taking all the coaching points that those coaches were giving me, but I can promise you time after time, play after play, I would say to myself, what would Mike Holmgren say right now? Or if I had to address the team, what would Mike Holmgren say right now? What would Mike Holmgren say? What would Mike Holmgren say? He had such an influence on any success I had after that. I promise you, when Tom Brady had success in Tampa, sure, it was Bruce Arians and Clyde Christensen and a lot of these guys, but a lot of it is 
is who trained him, who made him. Like you don't you don't go to Harvard Business School and then have success in business and then all of a sudden like, well, Harvard had nothing to do with that. No, that's who trained you, you know. And so like, like I, I, there was a game, there was a Monday night game, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching with Teddy Bruschi, and I you can hear the audio uh, and Tom Brady in Tampa. He goes Gronk, Gronk, Bruschi, Bruschi. Okay. Brewski, which is like, mm, I wonder what that is. They go all out blitz. It was a tight end delay. T-E-D. Ted. Teddy. Brewski. That was their code name. I immediately call my friends on Tampa. I'm like, well, great play on the Brewski thing. Like, first time we ever heard of it. Okay. They brought that from New England. Never in a meeting. He just saw it. That was from Bill and all the people here. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think you can separate the two. I really don't. I don't think it's that clear or, or clean of a break. I think Bill gets a lot of the credit for the quarterback that Brady became. And uh, and like I said, it's sort of a match made in heaven. Well, what a great answer to the right. You know, uh, it made more sense than most of the answers that I've heard because people usually line up on one side or the other, but you don't have to, obviously. Well, the controversial thing that I would say is like, you know, is I, I don't know if people think I'm nuts, but like apart from each other, maybe neither one's even a Hall of Famer. Like maybe like that's the part that you will never know. But but again, like I, I would bow up on this and you guys are more sports experts than me. But like you tell me of a better duo. You tell me of a better duo. I, I you know, I, I don't know. Well, any more questions, Bob, before you, you go to the uh, first break? Or should we? Uh... No, I, I have two. I, yeah, of course, I have, I've saved up. I had plenty of time to do my <laughs> save up during the show, but. You want me to do the first break? Because, Matt, we have a question to ask you after, right after this good one. Question, Matt. You're going to like this one. Okay. Yeah, this will oh. be good. So this is all about uh, Camper's Oktoberfest. It's going on right now through October 31st at Cold Springs RV in uh, Ware, New Hampshire. So take advantage of this end-of-the-season savings. End-of-the-season savings. You can also get a great deal on new 2024 uh, models that are now in stock. So... Check out the latest in pop-ups and travel trailers and fifth wheelers and uh, motorhomes and all the rest. Winter storage for your uh, RV is available. So protect your RV over the winter with winterizing and the uh, Pro RV Cold Springs Service Center is there for your taking. So uh, get to Camp Oktoberfest at Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire and tell them Loby and Mike Lynch sent you and then uh, learn more at coldspringsrv.com, which is available to you right now on your computer. Okay, Matt, Mike's got the question for of the day for you. All right, so remember John Madden wouldn't fly. He had the Madden Cruiser. Yeah. So we're trying to get Cold Springs RV to build a Lobie Cruiser that <laughs> we can drive around it. I uh, like and, it. And we thought it would be a good First idea. First better than my computer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I we hope thought it would be a good idea to give – a Lobie cruiser to our to our guests for one week, and you have to drive cross country. But the problem is you have to bring somebody with you riding shotgun. Now it can be someone alive, someone dead, someone from the present, someone from the past, and you're going to ride three thousand miles with this person. Supposedly have a stimulating conversation. Who would you ride? Who would you have riding shotgun with you, Matthew? Wow, this is a good question. It I feel is. Like, you know, I feel like I'm gonna. I, I'd be happy with so many people. Um, 
I mean, for sure. Like, I feel like my wife are like a good tag team. You know, if we ever did like the amazing race or something, I think we'd be good. But you know, you know, who's like, I think a pretty interesting guy is uh, Rob Ninkovich. I'm, uh, I'm actually, he's actually coaching at Zavarian with me right now, but he's on really? defense. I'm on offense. So we're kind of like, you know, we're like two ships passing in the night, but like every time I see him, he's in like a new car that he probably built with his own hands. He like, he, he's got like every, he's got his hand in everything he's got. He's got, I just feel like he's got so much going on. And I can follow him on Instagram. I'm like, dude, where are you today? He's like, oh, I'm in New Hampshire today. I'm in Maine. I'm in Florida. I'm like, like, you know, so he's, he's, um, he might be my choice right now. Um, plus he can tell like a good long story, you know, like for a good, yeah. you know, for a good ride. I'll, I'll go with Nick. Like, I didn't know. Like, so he's working with our long snapper. Our long snapper is going to Penn state. He's a really good player. And, uh, and he starts showing him like some long snapping tricks and like what shoulder pads to wear, what knee braces to wear, like all these, like, you know, like Steve Diossi, like high level things. And I was like, Hey, don't screw him up, man. He's good. He's going to Penn state to snap. And he's like, no, I got my start in the NFL as a snapper. I wasn't even a defensive player. I'm like, what? And he tells this whole story. And we're like, oh, my gosh, that's that's wild. So, yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Kind of, if it breaks down, I kind of trust him. Like, he, he builds cars. He probably, you know, <laughs> fix yeah. the thing. Yeah, you wouldn't be sitting on the side of the road like this if it break down. You know, if you can well, it's not it. even the breakdown because I've rented, uh, I've rent, rented Winnebago's and stuff like that. It's kind of just like um, – propane you're like getting rid of like the bathroom stuff like there's like some stuff you know yeah, of course you yeah. want somebody handy somebody yeah, handy. wants some handy you know <laughs> <laughs> plus if you're parked in like a koa he's not it doesn't seem like a bad guy to have with you, you no know? that's a that's a really great answer all right well you did such a great job on espn what was that experience like for you and uh I, I mean, it was a dream come true. Like I, I grew up, well, first of all, I didn't have cable growing up, but like once I got cable, like we would just kind of leave our TV on ESPN for a good part, good part of the day. You know, like we were just all about sports all the time. And I got the chance to be on the show that was hosted by Chris Berman. And I'm like, like, are you kidding me? Like I grew up watching Chris Berman. I mean, I grew up watching you guys. I know, you know? I know, I know. We knew that was coming. So that's all right. That's all right. No, no apologies necessary. But I, I remember our first meeting. So it was myself, Randy Moss, and Charles Woodson. We were like the new people on the show with Chris Mortensen, Adam Schefter, and um, Chris Berman. And Chris Berman, we have this big meeting, and Chris Berman says to us, hey, he's like, hey, guys, our chemistry, we'll figure it out, uh, you know, once we get to know each other a little bit. And Randy Moss goes, boom! We've been knowing you our whole lives, you know, kind of like, and it was true. Like we knew what he was going to say next. Like we knew him. We knew all his little like inside joke. Like we knew it all. Like he didn't know us, but we felt like we knew him. So now that was a, I mean, that was a dream come true. It was seven years. I got to work with my brother there. Um, got to do a lot of different cool things and, and I'm not there this year, which felt a little weird. Um, for the, you know, when the NFL season started, but I honestly, I cannot imagine a better situation than getting to coach my son at Zavarian, my high school with, you know, the head coach, he was coaching there when I was there. My dad is the tight ends coach. It's like, it's, it's really, really cool. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll miss a little bit of the grind on the NFL, uh, football stuff this year, but truthfully, I don't think I really will. I, I get it, but I we went. I know ESPN a very highly publicized contract issues with, uh, you know, across the board. I mean, uh, you know, Lynchy and I both know what contract issues are all about. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I'll say this it's about a that. fun business. It's, uh, yeah. Well, I'll say this about the situation for me though personally. So I, I got as part of the layoffs or whatever at the end of the summer, and 
this is kind of the decision that I would not have had the courage to make on my own. Like I, like I said to my wife, I said, you know, like, I don't think I would have had the courage to just quit my job and say, no, you know what? I'm going to coach high school football for my son's senior year. I don't think I would have, you know, I probably would have wussed out on that, but the decision was made for me. And for real, it's like, it's such a blessing. It's really cool. Would you have missed some of his games if you were still on ESPN? So I did it last year, but I wasn't, I was never really there on a Monday. I was doing different things. I was never there on a Monday. I wasn't there on Sundays, kind of game planning. I wasn't there on Saturdays. Um, so it was like a little bit, you know, I was, I was there, but I uh, wasn't able to be like all the way in like I am right now. So um, could I have done it? Yeah, I could have done it, but uh, it's okay. I'm sort of, I'm like having so much fun. You're, that it's okay. you're dealing with what life gave you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But you're the same guy. I can see it so clearly now. You're the same guy that called the coin toss in the overtime and said, <laughs> I'm and I'm when we're going to score. Heck yeah. Score and we're gonna, I can see that guy saying, I can see you saying that. I mean, that's sort of like a really misunderstood thing. Like, <laughs> first of all, I don't regret it for a second. Like not even for a second. And there's a lot that goes into it. Like I had just come from the Packers. The guy that I was talking smack to, uh, was like part, one of my very, very best friends. He was, you know, their kicker. I was his holder. I was really kind of talking smack to him. <laughs> but with that, I like I had mentioned, I had seen on the sidelines as a Packer player, I had seen so many teams go into Lambeau and get like psyched out. Like, oh my gosh, the cold weather. Oh my gosh, Brett Favre, Reggie White. Looking at the names, you know, Ray Nitschke, Bart Starr, you know, Vince Lombardi, like, like whatever. And so we had played the Packers earlier that year. We lost. We kind of went in that same way. I went in with like no emotion, no energy. Everyone's like, calm down. You're playing your friends. Don't get too excitable. And I was like, all right, I'll try that. I, I played okay. We lost. You know, it was just like we didn't we didn't do anything special. So we kind of went in that that time in the wild card. We were just happy to be in the wild card. And I was like, man, screw that. Okay. We're going to go out here and we're going to like cut it loose like I did in my front yard or in the street in my hometown or at Zavarian or whatever. We're just going to go have fun, cut it loose, talk smack to your buddies and have fun. And that's that's really what happened. And, um, you know, so like we don't win the game. That's life. That's sports. We lose on the last play of the game that year. And then the next year we lost in the last play of the game in the wild card round again. But again, I think like um, I almost said, Mr. Lobel, that's how I referred to you when I was a child. <laughs> but when like we talked about failures, how we lost in 03 and 04 in the playoffs on the last play of the game, a hundred percent, I believe this propelled us to the success that we had in 05. We were the one seed earned the buy. Should have won the Super Bowl. Didn't get it done that day uh, against the Steelers. But, like, those failures kind of made me who I am, made us who we were as a team. And, uh, and, and again, like, I think that's one of the lessons I learned from Brett Favre. This is a job, but you're at your best when you don't feel like it's a job. Like, when you feel like you're having fun. You feel like you did when you were a kid. Like, cutting it loose, competing, um, talking a little smack to your to your opponent, um, you know, especially if they're your friends. Well, I have some pictures. I don't know if, if Keelan uh, can, can hear us or if they're even loaded, but uh, I found some great pictures last night when uh, I was uh, looking looking through some things, and um, they were pretty good. If, if, if they don't have them loaded, I can 
pull them up right here. But uh, one of them was uh, in Miami before you had your Monday night game. Um, Patriots were playing the Dolphins, and I was talking to you. But you were standing there with Tom Brady, um, Bob Greasy, you, and Charles Woodson. And I was trying to count out the number of Super Bowls that you were in all together. Brady, like, I, I want to say nine or ten. That's crazy. Uh, Greasy <laughs> was in. He won two and lost one. Uh, Woodson, and then yourself. So there had to have been a, like a dozen or more Super Bowls between that quartet right there. That was that was really kind of something. Well, I mean, honestly, like there's some things like that you almost don't realize that it's a big deal. You know, like if, if that makes any sense. You know, and like um, – I, th I just remember like growing up, like when I was growing up, my dad played in the NFL and I, I didn't know it was a big deal that like Mark Bavaro would sleep over our house sometimes. Like I didn't know it was a big deal that like I'm sitting on an airplane with like Marcus Allen, you know, uh, coming back from the Super Bowl. Like I didn't know it was a big deal that like Lawrence Taylor gave me his like his, his gloves after practice. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Oh, there it is right there. Yeah. It's greasy with the hat. You yeah. were back to us. Woodson on the right and Tom Brady on the left. And, and, and the conversation right there was probably about Brian Greasy, who's now the quarterback's coach for the 49ers, doing a great job. Brian Greasy was that eight. So he played in Michigan probably with, uh, with Tom, played with Charles Woodson, uh, class of 98, got drafted the same draft class as me. And that draft class was picked. One was Peyton Manning. Two was Ryan Leaf. Three was Charlie Batch. But the next guy picked was Brian Greasy. And uh, then I was picked in later in the sixth round in that. But, like, there's just a – there's, like, all these little webs of camaraderie, whether it be, like, where you played college, what, what draft class you were, all that kind of stuff. And so you're mentioning it was Bob Greasy. But, like, for real, in my head, that's just Brian Greasy's dad. Yeah. You know, it's just, like, <laughs> you know, in a funny way. Keelan, you get, you get some other pictures there you can throw up? Because there's, there's a couple here that – uh, this one right there, getting the tough questions from a hard-hitting reporter right there. Well, I remember that night, and I think uh, the Patriots were like 0 for 11 on third down. Yeah. Uh, and they got spanked by a bad Dolphins team. They did. And uh, and I was really critical of the Patriots because one of the things that had happened was the Patriots were playing Monday Night Football, and all the talk was that they were looking ahead to the next opponent. And they were already game planning for the next opponent before they had played this opponent. And I just remember sort of saying something like, hey, this is firmly what I believe. You got to go one game at a time in the NFL as a player. It's not just a cliche. It's a real thing. And I remember getting like my phone blows up like, oh, you better not criticize the Patriots like that. Um, you know, you know, your house isn't going to be there when you get home or whatever. I was like, what, what are we talking about? Really? I wasn't. I, I wasn't think that was game Gronkowski was suspended, right? Because he. Uh... It's something in Buffalo the week before. I don't think Gronk played that game. Oh, well, maybe that was why they played so poorly. That, that, <laughs> that would do it. I mean, it's a big deal. We got one other picture right here we want we want to show you. This is uh, like ah. this because you've got hair, Matthew. Yeah. Well, I'm, the one in the, I'm the one in the pink bathing suit, uh, yeah. <laughs> in case anybody didn't know. Yeah. Uh, Lord, so so that, I know where that picture is. That is at Steve Nelson, Patriot linebacker Steve Nelson's house. Yeah. Uh, he was our next door neighbor um, growing up. And uh, what's what's hilarious to me about and my brother in the background there, my youngest brother, what's hilarious to me about this photo, though, is the girl on the far left, Caitlin Nelson, Caitlin. Yeah. married my college roommate and uh, and now lives in that house. Like my college yeah. roommate bought that house. 
uh, Lynn lives next to my mom and dad now. So, wow. oh yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good memories there. Great barbecues there at the Nelson household. Yeah, we had a good one that day. And the, and the one, the blonde is, that's my daughter, Katie. She went to BC. She lives in go. Westwood. Okay. Uh, and the dark haired one right there, that's Molly. She went to BC. And okay. all three of my girls went to BC. So we had a lot of Boston College in that picture right there. That's pretty good. Well, fun fact about this hot tub, this uh, Steve Nelson's hot tub, it's in the exact shape of a football. So like, <laughs> you can't you can't tell. But that's, uh, you know, back then I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, wow, this guy's sick. He's got a hot tub like a football. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. Cool. That's you great. Guys, you, but your folks are still in the same house, huh? My parents are still in the same house and, uh, you know, they're doing great. My dad had knee replacement surgery uh, this year. So uh, he wasn't going to coach. He coached last year, he coached tight ends at Zavarian, and he wasn't going to coach this year. And uh, our head coach was like, hey, we'll get you a golf cart. So he's like, he's like one of the things he's like Bear Bryant or something. Like he's driving around in the golf cart coaching um, with his bum knee. But, you know, he's, he's doing really well. Is he still with Reebok? No, he, he kind of got laid off at some point, kind of like I did. He was at Reebok for 22 years. It was Reebok, turned Adidas, um, you know, but like, like that's another one. Like I didn't know it was not normal. Uh, when he was at Reebok growing up, I would work at Reebok in the summers. It was like my summer job. And my job was to send the athletes their shoes. So I would send like Emmett Smith and Shaquille O'Neal and Roger Clemens and Boomer Esiason. And like I would send them all their cleats or basketball shoes or whatever. And um, I had tons of shoes. So like I, I'd wear their – like I was wearing Emmett Smith's shoes that he was wearing in the Super Bowl. Like I was wearing those at the Zavarian Super Bowl at BU against Brockton. Like I just thought that was like kind of normal. Like I was completely oblivious that it was like a big deal. Like in fact, I think the shoes I wore – were Boomer Esiason, like D Brown pumps. Like they were like white and orange and black and Zavarian's like blue and yellow. And I would I just like, oh yeah, these are just the Boomer Esiason. Like I was such a clueless kid. I, I had no idea, but um, you know, my baseball cleats were Roger Clemens cleats. Like it was just, it was just sort of funny, but looking back now uh, of all these like really cool experiences that I just, I thought were sort of like normal. You know, yeah. Every kid, every every kid does this. <laughs> I just, yeah, I had, you know, no, no idea. Now, is your mother the only one that calls you Matthew? So, so everyone in my family would call me Matthew. Like I say, Matt. My name's Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, like people call me Matt. But like if someone calls me Matthew, like I know you knew me before I got to BC. So I got to BC. They changed it in the media guide, and like sort of, the, I just. I just went with it, whatever. But, uh, but no, everyone calls me Matthew. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I think people like think I care. I don't care, but my mom cares. Yeah. Like yeah. I remember my rookie year, Mike Holmgren had done an interview and called me Matt. And after like the first game, there's like a player area, player coach area after the game. I like out of the corner of my eye, I see my mom like walking over to Mike Holmgren. It'd be like walking over to Bill Belichick. And I'm like, no, what are you going to say to do not say anything to him? And she kind of gives him like this, like poke, like, like kind of poking him like, hey, my son's name is Matthew, not Matt. I was like, <laughs> I'm definitely getting cut. Definitely. But uh, no, Coach Holmgren and my mom had like a, a nice little relationship after that. But uh, yeah, that that's sort of the that's the lowdown on that one. 
do, do you think it, it, was, it was a big help for you to have a, a dad who was who played so long in the, the National Football League uh, that sort of you know gave you the appetite and and the and the, and the want to give this thing a shot? No doubt. And the funny thing about it is my parents didn't let us play football growing up. Like it was like sort of like, no, play other things, play football, play baseball, play basketball, play something else, play golf. Um, but we we ended up playing everything. And I feel like football kind of chose me a little bit. But even when it when I wasn't around my dad, um, I was I was working as a ball boy for the Patriots. I just think I was around football. And I think I just kind of learned some of the I don't know, some of the things that matter that maybe people don't know matter. Um like I remember working for the Patriots as a ball boy, George Luongo is the equipment guy. And we would be like basically just doing everybody's laundry. And I just remember in the locker room, like there were guys that would just like throw their stuff on the ground um, and like expect us to like pick it up, their jocks, their socks, whatever. And then there were other people that would like tie up their laundry bin, put it in, like do what they're supposed to do, like push yeah. their seat in, like put their shoulder, just do things right. Or even just at practice. Like I would hear these coaches say like, Hey, there's no walking on the battlefield or something like that. Like basically no walking on the field. Like, I don't care how, how fast you jog, but you need to be jogging. Uh, don't sit on your helmet. Like just like some of those things, seeing a coach rip a player, but like, well, I know that guy's a good player. So like, if he's ripping him, it probably just means he cares about him. You know, so it's just like all these little things that I think you just pick up being around it. Um, help me to be a better teammate, help me to be a little bit more coachable, help me to sort of understand some of the non-negotiables. Um, like taking the, like, if you, let's just say you throw an interception, it's clearly not your fault. The coach yells at you. You're like, yes, sir. Got it. My bad. You know, like it, the film will vindicate you. Um, they'll find out what really happened, but I get to see that modeled by, you know, Steve Grogan all the way down to, you know, who, whoever, you know, like I remember being there with Scott Zolak, Hugh Millen, Tommy Hodson in a tough, like three and 13 with Dick McPherson as the head coach. But through like those tough times, you saw people like fall on the sword or take a bullet for somebody. Like it was like leadership. It was, it was like, wow, that's a great teammate. Or that's a, that's a coach I respect. So like, I, I know that, you know, I, like I said, like I was oblivious to some of the other stuff. I was well aware of the fact that these are special opportunities getting to see, you know, up close and personal how to do things and also how not to do things. All right, so the Patriots have the Bills and the Dolphins next up on their schedule. That's uh, quite a daunting uh, task. Um, when are they going to win another football game? This week. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, honestly, though, when you play a great team, when you play a great team, sometimes that's like sort of the jump start that you need as an yeah. offense yeah. because you can't get into this like, oh, let's just not screw it up mode. Like you saw Zach Wilson and the Jets basically just pull this off. Yeah. It's like, wait, they did what? Like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Because, you know, I, I use this analogy a lot with quarterbacks. Like, you're not going to be successful as a quarterback using the analogy of, like, driving a car. It's, you know, driving like you're in driver's ed, 10 and 2, like, afraid to make a mistake. Like, you're actually probably putting yourself in more danger. Like, if you drive a little bit aggressive, like, a little bit aggressive, like, I'm in control. Like, I'm dictating where this car goes. You know, I'm... I'm I'm, you know, I'm merging or I'm not like you're in charge, like playing quarterback that way. I think, I don't know. I, that, again, I think it's the best way to go. So you're playing an, a prolific offense with Miami, a dangerous offense with Buffalo, you know, that just might be what you need to just say, Hey, the heck with it. We, we got to try to score 40. Yeah. The giants almost did it the other night. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, uh... They should have, they really should have done it. 
<laughs> what uh, we have the meaning cast we have a, gonna have a, a has cast and uh bring your dad bring nathaniel <laughs> bring uh timmy in and yourself the four of you i mean tim would love it because tim lives in nashville tennessee right now and he thinks it's like the greatest place in the world and so uh <laughs> he's like dude come to nashville we'll do something in nashville together just come to nashville this place is awesome and it is like we, we lived there for a couple of years when I played for the Tennessee Titans. It's a it's a lot of fun, special place. But um, no, I think I think it is cool. Like in media right now, there's like different opportunities. Like my daughter, who my oldest daughter is at Boston College and like on her Instagram page, she does these little like and she's doing a podcast for BC football. And on her Instagram, she'll do these like. Uh, I don't know, like foreshadow, like the, the game's coming up or whatever. And it's just so cool. Like, I just feel like I don't need to be like, a, I don't need to do a deep dive on the, you know, like the BC Florida state game to like have a feeling of like, here are the three things I got to work for or look for all because I get to watch like a little like 30 second clip that she did. Like, I think it's like a fun thing. So um, she's more tech savvy than me, but if I ever get tech savvy enough, kind of like, Lobie here, um, then then we'll be rolling and we'll do, you know, we'll be able to do all that kinds is, of different. That is so cool. That is really, I thought you were a really good guy. Coming did, you know how hard it was for me not to call you Mr. Lobel right there? Yeah, I was right. Lobie, that was the compliment part. Then then you had to really take the shot. But that's her. Okay. Uh, now that I get a chance to ask a quick question before the thing <laughs> goes down again. Was there one guy, one person, Matt, uh, as being an only the oldest child in a very athletic family, uh, Matthew, was there one person that you always thought of? Would I really wanted him to be proud of me at this moment? I if I if I'm standing in Seattle and they're putting my number up on the uh, Ring of Hall of Fame as you were, was there? I'm not saying it took place at that moment, but was it Holmgren? Was it? Your dad was it? You know, yeah. was one guy I really wanted to be proud of me at this moment. Yeah, I mean that's a really good question. Um, it's the only one I get to ask, so that's right. <laughs> you know, the the answer always would have been my dad, right? Like that that always would have been the answer, and and I could choose a lot of people that meant a lot to my career. Yes, yes. You know, I chose Boston College because of Tom Coughlin. Still have a tremendous amount of respect. Great for guy, Robert. great I'm, guy. Still get nervous around him for some. He was the best. Know. He was awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I think Mike Holmgren really did remind me a lot of my dad. I mean, my dad is almost six foot eight. Mike Holmgren, he's like six, 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 seven. He's just like a, a big, big person, a big personality. And he was hard. Like he, he was hard on me. My dad was hard on me. He didn't make it easy. Um, you know, I eventually did play organized football. I was a tight end until I got to Zavarian. My dad was my coach. You know, like I remember missing a block one time and he was like, you got to make that block. And I was like, I don't think I can make that block. And like, that wasn't not, that was like not an acceptable answer, really. <laughs> you know? And so like, I don't know, I, Mike Holmgren had a lot to do with it. But, but I, I would also say this, my quarterback's coach in Seattle uh, for most of my time there was Jim Zorn, the quarterback that had been there, um, really the start of the franchise, left-handed, you know, a little bit, like some people might say quirky, he had a little like Mr. Miyagi coaching style to him. He was awesome for me. And I remember early in my career feeling like, how do I do all of this? Like, how am I going to be the franchise quarterback for this, for this team? And I just like, I kind of remember feeling like, and Trent Dilfer was my backup at the time. Uh, he had said this to me. He's like, Hey, you don't need to do all of it. Okay. You just need to do what Jim Zorn tells you to do. 
in like, and I, and like, that was sort of like the mindset that I, that I took. Um, when I was, when I was growing up here, we used to go candle pin bowling all the time. Right. And like the trick for me in candle pin bowling was not to look at the pins. It was to look at those like little arrows, like that are kind of like right in front of you. And like, that was kind of like, if I just do this right, then that sort of takes care of itself. And, and like Jim Zorn had this saying one time in our quarterback room, he was like, Hey, just play every play right. Do the right thing on every play and the score will take care of itself. And I just kind of like between Trent and Mike Holmgren and Jim Zorn, it was kind of like, hey, I don't have to worry about all that. I'm just going to do what Jim Zorn tells me to do on every play. At the end of the day, we probably won. And he, like even if we didn't win, like I can only control what I can, can control. Like I can't control if our defense stops the ball or if it stops the run or gets a turnover. Like I can control how I play every play. So I would give it to Mike in that sense to answer your question. But um, how did I accomplish that? I accomplished that on sort of like, you know, looking at the arrows right in front of me, so to speak. That's good. Sure. Good. See, see, dad, I did it. <laughs> see, dad, I did. I did what you thought I could do. Well, I, I remember when my dad was my Pop Warner coach, too, though. And uh, we were driving home from a from a game one time. And uh, I went up to catch a pass and I dropped the ball. I was like kind of afraid to get hit or whatever. And like, I thought he was going to rip me for like dropping the pass. Like I had seen, like I remember Bill Parcells once when my dad was with the Giants, my dad ripped, Bill Parcells was ripping my dad for dropping a ball at practice one time in training camp. And so I was like, oh, here it comes. I'm going to get the Bill Parcells treatment in the station wagon on the ride home. And sure enough, uh, he says, I'm like, oh, I could have had that. I could have had that catch. And he said, oh, yeah, that, that would have been an amazing catch. And I remember being like, what? Like, you're not going to yell? You're going to say that? It actually made me feel worse. I was like, ah, oh, it would have been an amazing catch. And it was like, I don't care what happens next time. I don't care who's going to hit me. I don't care if I'm getting the wind knocked out. Like, I'm going to hold on to that football. I'm going to make that catch. And, uh, you know, it was like a little bit of that, too. Like, so, like, Mike Holmgren, same thing, was really hard on me. But at times he would come in and just like flip the script. Um, and there were many times that he did that where it was just like, okay, like that was sort of genius. That that worked. That really worked. Hmm. Interesting. Good job. Who was your favorite sportscaster growing up, man? Uh, you know what? That is really unfair, Lynchy, because <laughs> you, you know what's really funny though about the sport? Like, I don't really have a Boston accent, and I would love a Boston accent. I would love Micah. But my parents, are, my parents are from Ohio. I was born in Boulder, Colorado. My parents were married. My dad played at CU. He loves Dion, yes. But anyway, I don't have a Boston accent. Where in Ohio are they from? Cincinnati, Cincinnati Ohio. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, okay. But I used to watch the nightly news, and I would, like, practice, like, hello, I'm Peter Jennings. I'm Tom Brokaw. Like, I wanted to talk, like, the national people because I didn't want a Boston accent. And then, like, I, you know, I go off to college and, like, Every girl in the school thinks a Boston accent is like the cutest thing ever. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I have a Boston accent, I, but I did not. <laughs> Luckily, my, my wife was willing to look past it. But um, no, I, I yeah, I didn't want it. I just uh, I don't know. It was a weird thing. Really weird. Hey, let me get this uh, the spot in for our good friend, George Gray. You know, if you're thinking about a new vehicle, go where Loby and Lynchy go. Go see our friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years because we know George Gray will treat you right. They're a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust, and you can trust as well. Go see the big wheel 
We call him. He's the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota, 409 Mass Ave in Lexington. He's a big fan of, of uh, the Patriots, big fan of your dad, and a big fan of yours as well. Well, I'm sure you're going to get to practice, Matthew, right? Is that coming up pretty soon? I got my scripts done. So I do on Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday, I do our seven-on-seven scripts um, for the team. And, like, there's an art to scripting a practice. You don't want your receivers running a deep route after deep route. You want to mix up the personnel groupings. So uh, it's how I spend a lot of my time. But, uh, but yeah, we have practice and uh, got a big game up in Malden Catholic yep. uh, this Friday night. Hoping and and I do I do look as a player I never looked at the weather like didn't care didn't matter as a coach I'm looking at the weather like religiously like all right what plays are we going to practice is it going to rain is it not going to rain kind of funny the things that coaches have to worry about <laughs> what about your alma mater I mean maybe Lynchy asked you this uh, no I didn't I let the field book thank you Mike thank <laughs> you you were my favorite sportscaster growing <laughs> you, were, you seemed to be a lot older. Just this, this injury again. Yeah, I know. That's what, you know what? Uh-huh. Convenient, That's isn't good. it? That's good. Why would you do that? Mom's got big blue tape on it too. See, <laughs> your alma mater, Matt. Mm-hmm. What's going on? And I, I know. I, okay, you're at alumni game. They're asking you the same thing. They're asking each other the same thing. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I would just say it was a tough start to the season, right? We lost at home to NIU. We uh, almost lost to Holy Cross. Uh, played Florida State really tough, had a chance to win that game. I think the team's 3-3 three and three right now. They've got a new starting quarterback who I think the offense is a little different. Um, I think they can turn it around. I really believe in Jeff Halfley, the head coach. I think he's a really good coach. Unfortunately for him, if you count the interims in his time, he's had five different athletic directors. He's had three different offensive oh. coordinators. It's been a little bit of a revolving door at the O-line coach position. Um, quarterback thing, you know, his quarterback transferred to Pitt. He's now playing tight end, you know, like, it's like, you know, it's a lot that goes into these things, but uh, no, I, I do believe that, that he can get it turned around. And, and I know people that have been coached by him, Richard Sherman's, Darrell Revis, Aaron Donald, uh, John Lynch was with him with the 49ers. Like those, t- if you ask those people about Jeff Halfley as a coach, you're going to get glowing responses it's going to get you know it's going to be like me talking about tom coughlin or pete carroll or you know those experiences that i have so you know i'm certainly rooting for them cheering for them they got georgia tech this weekend Uh, i think they've got a lot of winnable games and um like i said it's a completely different offense now their quarterback i think leads the fbs i think they call it now leads fbs and touchdown rushing uh uh, rushing touchdowns right now so it's a a very very different offense from how they started the year with uh more of a passing quarterback so we'll see well matthew you did a nice job today thank you appreciate this guys thank you how was you how was you know we were around for any of the show well i (laughs) could hear a lot of it but you know a lot of my time was Tied up in more technical issues to take. <laughs> all right, Matthew, thank you so much. Thanks to everybody. And uh, thank you, guys. Thanks to all the family. And Great. for you out there, make sure you follow us on unanchoredboston.com. Appreciate it. Unanchored Boston is a presentation of Unanchored Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unanchoredboston.com.
Thank you.